This is Jamin Baxter, and I serve as Business Development Director for Moody Radio. The only reason we're able to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ on the radio is because of financial support from listeners like you. We also have businesses support us too, like United Faith Mortgage. Faith and family is at their core. It's why they choose to be such a close partner with our station. It's why they specifically advertise on Christian radio stations across the country. It's why father and son John and Ryan still lead the company to this day. Check out United Faith Mortgage and their direct lender advantage at unitedfaithmortgage.com. Thanks to you and to United Faith Mortgage for supporting Moody Radio. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Well, good Saturday to you. This is Ed Stetzer, and you're listening to Ed Stetzer Live. And we're so excited to have a conversation today that I think will be informative, uh, definitely interesting, and maybe challenging in some ways as well. So my name is Ed Stetzer. I'm your guest, your host. What am I, your guest host? No, I'm your host. This and every Saturday at this time on your stations, coast to coast. Let me remind you also that you can and should download the podcast as well. Go to edstetzerlive.com. All the links are right there. And uh, you can subscribe to this as a podcast. So when you're not available Saturday morning, voila, it is still available to you. So um, I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I serve as the executive director. And I've, I've got radio on the brain this week. The last few days, I've been filling in on almost all these stations. You have Chris Brooks' show. So I've been filling in for Chris Brooks on his show. And uh, we'll be doing so again on Monday. So a lot of moody radio on the brain. And I will tell you, uh, as the team here knows, this is hard work, but uh, but good. I'm excited about having our conversation today, which is kind of super fun, and uh, and there's a personal connection here as well that I'll share. But let me introduce our guest, and remember also, too, we're going to invite your calls as well. So Dan Rupel is a producer, writer, and a Christian comedian. So um, and, and actually, just full disclosure, the only comedian that I've ever bought a, uh, an album from. The only, the only, not like personally, we didn't like go up and I didn't give him eight bucks or something. But uh, he was in a Christian comedy sketch group called Isaac Air Freight, which I bought cassettes. For those of you who don't know, cassettes are these like plastic things with two wheels and a little piece of tape between them. Um, and he was the production supervisor. Not just that. I don't want to just put him in just that. But in my life... That's the only comedy album I ever bought. Thank you very much. So, um, but he was also the production supervisor for The Price is Right, which I, when I was homesick on some days, I watched as a kid. And then, uh, and then also did uh, the West Coast productions of The Late Show with David Letterman, which again, I'm much more familiar with as well. Uh, and the Emmy Award winning Family Feud, which is super fun. Um, and again, if you didn't watch Family Feud, what's the matter with you? But we'll, we'll, we'll kind of move on from there. Um, he's an ordained minister and honorary chairman of the Christian Comedy Association, which I bet until this moment you didn't know there was a Christian Comedy Association, but now you know. He serves on the uh, Biola Media Conference Executive Advisory Board and the CEO of Master Media International. I think I spent more time doing that introduction than I do most, Dan. But you know why? Because it's kind of, I'm a little bit of a fan here. And so I'm a little bit like, you know, super impressed to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, having me. You know, Ed, you, you, you're kind of tired just reading the intro. I had to live it, you know, so I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. 
I sense this. I sense this. And already, maybe we should just call it. When you say shows that I worked on, you watched as a kid. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, listen, I mean, listen, if I bought your cassette tapes, that's dating both of us, bro. That's That's, dating both of us. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. At least you didn't say eight track. No, that's true. That's true. Did you have, did Isaac Air Freight go on eight track or did it start on the cassette? I, I, you know, I think, uh, I think maybe our first or second or second album was on eight track also, but uh, I think I think that was when the cassettes uh, came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Well, I, you know, I didn't. I, I my dad had an eight track, and I knew what it was, but I was, you know, I was a cassette Gen Xer, so that just let's just put that out there. Okay, so, um, yeah. I, you know, everyone could tell I went a little gaga over Isaac Air Freight. So. Um, but again, you may not know what that is. I can't imagine people not knowing what Isaac Airfreight is. Uh, but would you explain oh, to people surprised. what Isaac Airfreight was? Well, tell, let, let us know. Tell us. Tell us about it. Let me, let me go back to to our, our journey. Um, it all began when I was in high school. I I was not a Christian, and I was in the uh, high school drama department. They introduced me to Tom Frost, and I just took to it. I thought this is the greatest thing in the world. You just get up on stage. You make things things up and, and, and people laugh. And uh, we did shows there. We had a troupe, and we did shows in the high school department. And I got this idea. I said, why don't I form a, a little group of, like, the best players in our high school? And so we did. We started playing high school assemblies and different things. And then I got real bold. And I'm 15 at the time, Ed. I'm 15. And I said, hey, why don't we, one of the guys in the group had his driver's license. I said, why don't we drive up to Hollywood after school and play the comedy club? So we did, and I'd have, uh, I was not a person of faith, and I, uh, I had to lie about my age because I was 15, and they served alcohol in the comedy store and the Troubadour and the Ice House and all these iconic venues. And we just started performing, and uh, that went on into – uh, our college years, and we were really making some traction. We were opening for like Lily Tomlin, and uh, and then in 1975, Lauren Michaels was developing a show uh, called Saturday Night Live, and he sent some scouts out to Hollywood to kind of mine the comedy clubs to try to figure out who were the best sketch players, and um, he narrowed it down to two groups. Uh, my group as well as Al Franken and Tom Davis. And I will be eternally grateful to the Lord because he went with Al Franken and Tom Davis. Uh, My life may have had a different trajectory. So around that time, um, I started kind of on a spiritual journey. I I felt that I just kind of needed something. I wasn't in crisis. I was doing well. But I kind of felt I need... I need something deeper in my life. And uh, I looked into the Baha'i faith. I looked into spiritualism. I searched other types of, of religions and belief systems. And then one night, uh, I was alone in my bedroom. And I just felt this, this voice say, read your Bible. And Ed, I, I had a Bible because my parents uh, would make sure my brother and I would always go to VBS as kids. And I dusted it off, found it. And the only thing I remembered about the Bible was the red stuff was what Jesus said. So I thought, I'm going to go straight to the source. And I looked through the Bible for the most red I could find, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I didn't even get beyond the first verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And 
I just collapsed on the floor and just convulsing. And I just, I just said, God, I don't even know what this totally means, but I'm in. Um, I think it has something to do with I'm bankrupt in my soul. And I need you. And I said, I'm, I'm just all in. And now I have a little bit of a problem ahead because uh, we were a three-man group. And we were doing kind of blue stuff in, in clubs. And I needed to, to quit the group. So I show up at rehearsal. And I said, hey, before we do anything, I got to tell you, I'm leaving the group tonight. Since the last time we got together, I became a Christian. And then I turned to my partner, Dave Toole, and he said, well, wait a minute. I was going to leave the group tonight. Since the last time we got together, I became a Christian. And then we turned to our third member, Larry Watt, and Larry said, last week I rededicated my life to Christ. Wow. And we just went, whoa. You know, and it's like maybe God's doing something here. And that was the sovereign work of God that began what we know today as Christian comedy. Hmm. Crazy. So what? where do the words Isaac Air Freight come from? And people probably are already Googling by the millions because, you know, I have millions. Of <laughs> people are Googling by the millions Isaac Air Freight. You know, you can actually find some of the sketches online. And you guys were kind of... I mean, you weren't like Tim Hawkins kind of comedy. You were kind of a little bit, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe, but, uh, you know, Wittenberg Dorian kind of has come around at the same yeah. time. You guys had a little bit of a highbrow feel to you, um, which, which again, I, I wanted to be highbrow when I was a teenager. So, uh, so, so tell me more yeah. about it. Kind of where's the name come from and what kind of comedy did you do? Well, the name comes from, uh, as you know, with Abraham, Isaac is, is, means laughter. And so we, we, we got that. And then um, if you also recall, and, and you know, that, though, that era, the late 70s, uh, there was this really em this emphasis on the second coming, the rapture. And we thought, well, the rapture, you know, Christians will be air freight. And so they're laughing Christians, you know, going on up. So we adopted that name. And um, but as far as our style, you know, Ed, I, I've done so many radio interviews and podcasts and things, and they asked you know, I often am told there was no comedy in the church before Isaac Airfreight, and there absolutely was comedy in the church, but it was it was like little sketches at youth camps and, and things like that that was coming from a context of the church. And what made us different and a little bit of irreverence was the fact that we came out of the club scene. So we came from a comedy club context as opposed to a church context. And therefore, our, our um, material was more culturally relevant and more, um, you, a non-Christian could listen to it and kind of understand it and appreciate it. And uh, so we we're a little bit more universal and the church just grabbed a hold of this, except for a very a small uh, group of naysayers. Oh, there were some people who didn't like it. I still, I think I can do all the words to like Jerusalem Dragnet. I mean, I still remember some of those things, and it is just, yeah. it's fascinating. So, so just a little context too. Dan and I were together um, a week or so ago, and yeah. uh, we weren't able to get Dan uh, on on audio while we were there, and so we were together. At what's called the Ablaze Conference. So the Ablaze Conference was sponsored by the Holy Spirit Center at Biola University and the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. And we were just talking some about the Jesus, not some, the whole focus was the Jesus people movement. We reunited some of the members of Second Chapter of Acts and Love Song and, and Salt Company and Chuck Gerard and Honey Tree and Melody Green was there. It was amazing. And, um, and I think people might not realize that, you know, some of the 
Isaac Gerfried stuff was as widely as engaged as uh, as as other resources. I mean, again, it's it's an album, and we're going to talk more about that, and we're going to take your calls as well in just a moment. We're talking to Dan Rupel, and uh, Dan is uh, well, he's he's got a long resume, but we're going to go go with the end of it. He's right now the CEO of Mastermind International, and we're going to talk some more about um, comedy and also engaging some of the journey he's been on as well. But I'm guessing you might want to weigh in. 877-548-3675 is our number. Maybe you got a question about movies and Hollywood and entertainment industry, comedy, 877-548-3675. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back having a great conversation with Dan Rupel. Uh, Dan is the CEO of Master Media International. I think I said Mastermind Media because people say I have an odd-shaped head, head and a, maybe a March-matching personality, the Megamind character. So I get sometimes that a little confused. So, But it's Master Media International. He's well-known, respected voice of faith and trusted Christian presence within uh, what's often called the global media industry. And Master Media actually consults regularly with leading Media executives, media executives, and influencers worldwide. Okay, so, so Dan, we, we were talking a little bit about uh, about the idea of uh, Christian comedy. How I mean, there were skits. I mean, I did bad skits when I was a new believer. I came to Christ. Uh, didn't come from a Christian home, but but ended up. My mom made punish me, made me go to a camp, and there I met the Lord. And my life was changed. But one thing that changed in my teenage years is I learned to do skits in church, which was part of my discipleship, was to somehow put your hands through so they look like someone's legs and then someone else, you know, you, you've seen it all. So, but you guys became pros. You guys are doing like a thousand tours, right? You've done, I mean, a thousand stops on tours. So what is, I mean, what, give us a little more of the background here again, just for people who don't necessarily know, I mean, you've got, you know, a huge influence now in the media industry. But this was kind of a niche thing that related to the Ablaze Conference and some of the ministry that was going on there during the Jesus People Movement. So give us more. Take us back to those late 70s, early 80s and more. Yeah, the you know, it was maybe a blessing that uh, our group wasn't raised in church because we, you know, we always say we didn't know any better. We didn't know that uh, in some uh, very conservative churches, uh, comedy wasn't allowed. And... Um, you know, so we ran into a little bit of, of pushback. You know, I do a radio interview. Uh, I remember specifically we were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We we're doing a show. We were doing before the concert. We were doing a uh, an interview, and a lady called in said we were being possessed, and we're stopping everything that God wants to do in Albuquerque, and etc. Uh, but can, can, I, can I just in interrupt way, you and say that if 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 folks want to call in and say that Dan's demon possessed, that you can do that now because I think I see I'm trying to be a little comedy eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. But yeah. just keep going, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I, I've heard worse, but anyway. Uh, but what what happened is mostly the, the 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 body of Christ really embraced this. As you mentioned, the Ablaze Conference and the early groups like Love Song, uh, which Tommy Coombs of Love Song produced our first album, kind of taught me how to produce. But um, 
the, the church had reluctantly welcomed the hippie movement into the Jesus movement, rock music, and they were still trying to, you know, wrestling over rock music, but suddenly comedy comes on the scene. Whoa, you know, that's, that's a new one. And we found the church was like ready to laugh. They just, they just embraced it, and it was, it was so, so well-received. And very quickly, we were touring all over. We did about 200 flights a year. We did that for 15 years, and we were packing it out. And part of it, it first of all, I think we, not to be arrogant, but we were pretty good because we had been honed in the clubs where it's kill or be killed, you know, and throw bottles at you, you know, for, for nine years before we became Christian. And so we really, you know, we kind of honed what we were doing and uh, knew our style and the, the church embraces, but also the fact that we could feel like a rock band. We were invited to like all the different festivals around the, the country. And um, I remember a young Amy Grant, her second concert was open in Pasadena, California. And, you know, so we were right there in the mix and, because they wanted variety, they always would have us uh, come on. And um, it was just, it was very, very well received, except like I mentioned, a few very conservative pockets that overly uh, received. Yeah, I think I, think I remember, because I had the album, or maybe the albums, um, but I think I remember at a Jesus Orlando festival, late 70s, early 80s, being hearing your the troop live there so so kind of again soundtrack of my youth i don't want to like drag everyone into the soundtrack of my youth just just to be to be clear i recognize some of you like oh that's a little bit whatever um but the when you think about christian comedy then i mean you guys were the pioneers of this and now we can name some people today uh what do you think about the state of christian comedy in 2021 I'm real excited about because I think these some of the people that are that are coming up now, they're not really coming up. Tim Hawkins began uh, uh, started a number of years ago, but uh, I mean they're really talented. And you mentioned that I you know I worked on Letterman for eight years, and uh, some of the Christian comedians are every bit as uh, as as good as any comedian I, I we had on on Letterman. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just excellent. It, and you know the the Christian Comedy Association, which happened in 2002, Shonda Pierce, a Christian comedian, she called me and said, I'm gathering some Christian comedians on my farm. Would you, can we fly you in as the father of Christian comedy? And I did. And then we launched the Christian Comedy Association. We have a conference every year. Now it's grown to about 450 comedians. But out of that came um, uh, Tim Hawkins, Michael Jr., Anita Renfro, uh, John Chris. You know, all these, these people who were just fledgling talents, and we mm. were able to encourage and mentor, and, you know, now the comedy scene is just, I think, second to none. It's just excellent. Fascinating. Fascinating indeed. So you didn't stay. I mean, you're still, you're still a funny guy. But, um, but you <laughs> end up becoming this Christian presence in many ways, and eventually, you know, with... Uh, with with your you know Master Media International, you, I'm going to say Mastermind Media International. I just I yeah. apologize, but Master Media International. We'll say it ten times, and that'll be good. There you go. Um, so you ended up being kind of Christian presence in Hollywood. Eventually, kind of being a representative for Christianity to some leaders in media and more. So talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be that You're supervising the Price Is Right at David Letterman. Uh, what's it like on that journey? 
Well, you know, it is interesting because 15 years, I, you know, with Isaac Air Freight, we're working in the Christian marketplace. Our audience is predominantly Christian. And then there, I had a very short time, I went in and had my own radio show for three years and Christian radio, again, Christian audience. And I was also pastoring uh, part-time at, at my church. So I was, I was just really in the, in the Christian bubble. And suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm thrown into CBS, which I won't get into the long story how God opened that door, but I'm, I'm supervising producer of The Price is Right. And so like day one, I said, Lord, how do, how do I approach this? How do I be a presence without being a jerk, without being obnoxious, without, you know, without wearing a John 316 shirt? And the Lord showed me day one, uh, have a touch point with every single person on your crew every single day to let them know you care and that you see them. And I, have a, I had 100 people on my crew on The Price is Right. So every day, in fact, they used to kind of laugh at me because I, I would do this counterclockwise pattern around the studio, and I would have a touch point with every single person on the crew from the lowest usher to Bob Barker. And what I did is I, sometimes it was just a quick, hey, how you doing? But other times it's like, hey, you know, uh, I know your wife just had a surgery. How'd it go? Or did your son win his Little League game? Or whatever it might be. But very soon, they all knew I was a Christian, but I didn't lead with that. I'll, I'll use that term. But they very soon knew that I killed them. I resumed my value to them. And very quickly, they started coming over and finding me at the coffee or whatever and saying, hey, I just, I just found out I got cancer. Can you, can you pray for me or, you know, whatever, you know, and being able to encourage people and whatever. And the, probably the highest thing I ever received is when I left Price is Right after 10 years, uh, Bob Barker said, Dan, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to pastor because I was transitioning to be a pastor full time. And Bob Barker goes, I think that's good because I've always seen you as the pastor of Price is Right. And to me, that was, that was my ultimate good and, you know, faithful servant because uh, that's what I was trying to do. I was just trying to be a presence. So they knew this is what a Christian looks like. This is how a Christian behaves, and this is how a Christian loves what, uh, other people. And um, and that is also what gave got me the the Letterman gig. Uh, Letterman right. signed with CBS in '92, and they the producers flew out to Television City in L.A. where I work, and they said Dave wants to do some shows in L.A. And uh, here, you know, they cleared the studios and made sure they had the dates and everything. And they said, we'd like Dan Ruppel to, to be our surprising producer. And my boss said, how do you know York? They said, well, we get the, he has the reputation all the way across the, that his crew will do anything for him. And it was certainly that lesson of servant leadership and valued my crew. And that's how I landed uh, the David uh, gig. Fascinating. Fascinating. And again, um, just so our listeners know, we do hear the same kind of challenging uh, connection that you're hearing as well. We're going to try to work on that uh, at the break as well, but we're going to press through at this point. Um, so you go from Hollywood producer to pastor. Did, and did I understand then? So you left, you left The Price is Right, told them you're going to become a pastor. You end up working, doing the David Letterman uh, California shows. Are you a bivocational pastor at that time or did you go back into producing? Uh, no, what, what I, is uh, my my pastor asked if I would uh, come and be his executive pastor, 
And I was like, I really leave that gig of Price is Right to be the executive pastor. But my wife and I uh, went for a weekend to fast and pray, and the Lord showed us, I'm calling you to be a pastor for a season, and I'm going to call you back to the entertainment industry. So if I've learned anything, I've learned to uh, obey the voice of the Lord. So I, I resigned from CBS. I was sent out with great blessings from them, and then I pastored for three years, and then I transitioned back. And the Lord put me into digital media at that time. So that was the that was the sequence of events. Yeah, you know it's interesting because when people in the Christian world go in and out of pastoral ministry, people are like, "Why? What's Matt? You what you're in? You should be in." But Paul does the exact same thing. Apostle Paul does the exact same thing, where he's stepping into making tents, where his vocation, and then into vocational ministry. So I love that because it gives you that opportunity to have great influence. So we've got about um, a minute or so before we need to take a, take a quick pause. Uh, tell us a little bit, you, for the past six years, you've been heading up Master Media International. Give us about a minute on what you do there, then we'll continue on the other side. Um, as you referenced earlier, Master Media is a, a relational outreach to the mainstream media uh, leaders and, and filmmakers. And what that means is that we serve as a voice of faith sometimes the singular sole voice of faith into the lives of, of Hollywood leaders. And, you know, sometimes they don't really understand what a Christian is, and we go in with no agenda. We just want to love on them. We serve them. And before I leave an office, I ask to pray for them, and no one's ever turned me down. And when I, sometimes when I go back to a, uh, a, an office, uh, before I even leave or mention it, they'll say, you are going to pray for me, aren't you? They just really... Hmm. Uh, appreciate the fact that that uh, that we'll pray for them, and uh, it's been a really rewarding thing. And it's very necessary because we always say Hollywood is the most influential mission field in the plant on the planet. Yeah, yeah, but we don't see a lot of Christian representation in media, and we're going to talk about that. I know that's part of what your desire is as well. We're going to continue our conversation with Dan Rupel. Let me give you again a little bit of his background. He's a producer, writer, Christian comedian. Uh, performed more than 1,200 concerts in the Christian sketch comedy group Isaac Air Freight, uh, was with The Price is Right, uh, with The Late Show with David Letterman, Family Feud, and is an ordained minister and the honorary chairman of the Christian Comedy Association. Also with Biola Media Conference Executive Advisory Board. And uh, fun fact, my daughter recently toured the studios there. Biola has this amazing media ministry focus, and my daughter will be attending there next fall. And uh, very excited about that as well. And also, too, Dan is uh, most today most focused on being the CEO of Master Media International. So we're going to continue our conversation with him, but I bet you have some questions about what it's like to be a Christian in that space. How can we how can we better engage media and maybe even questions about comedy? They're all welcome. 877-548-3675. Again, you're listening to Ed Stetzer Live on Moody Radio. 877-548-3675. Give us a call. Hi, we're back. Uh, we're back at Ed Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer, and we are having a conversation with Dan Rupel. Dan is a producer, writer, Christian comedian, and more. He worked with The Price is Right, which, if I recall, is the longest-running game show in history. Um, worked with The Late Show with David Letterman, Family Feud. He's also a pastor, honorary chairman of the Christian Comedy Association, and connected with Biola. We just did a conference together um, called Ablaze, the Holy Spirit Center there. We did kind of a look back to the late 60s to the early 70s 
when uh, Dan and his crew come out of the club scene, become Christian comedians, and Isaac Airfreight. And if you don't know Isaac Airfreight, just take a moment and Google that. But we have, I, I kind of spent a little too much time in that at the beginning because I had the cassettes and it was an awesome, awesome time. We, I think we've changed our technology, so we should be at a better place uh, hearing Dan a little more clearly. And so um, one quick question, though. The whole Hollywood producer to pastor thing kind of seems a little weird, but, you know, to people. Like, how do you, how do you, how are you one and then the other? Sometimes it might even seem contradictory. Tell us about the connection and the difference between those, and then we'll take some calls. Oh, let me mention, too, people might want to call 877-548-3675. Uh, so talk to us about that producer-pastor thing. What's the similarities? Yeah, the it, it, yeah, it seems like a real disconnect or maybe an oxymoron, but it actually has a lot more similarities than you would you would think uh, in two ways. Um, I think either whether you're pastoring or you're producing in Hollywood, you are shepherding people. Um, you know, in one case, it's a congregation. In another case, it's a crew. And that's how I look on it. I look at it as I am shepherding uh, my, my team on Price is Right. And um, the, uh, you know, so you, you take care of them, you see what they're struggling with, you make them feel valued, you, you, uh, you know, maybe, uh, if it's a thing of um, counseling them in a, in a very uh, conversational way or whatever it might be. But the other commonality, and people have always asked me this, you know, you've pastored, you've been in comedy, you've been, uh, my MFA is in screenwriting, uh, you know, all these things. And I, I said, I think one of the commonalities is uh, you're a storyteller. As a pastor, right. you are sharing a sermon that is basically uh god's involved stories of god's involvement in uh, human lives uh as well as when you're writing a screenplay it's telling stories um of the human experience and uh when you're counseling often when you're counseling as a pastor you're sharing you know god did this when you know someone comes in says my wife's struggling with cancer and you say well god did this here i want to tell you a story when my wife was uh struggling with cancer you know etc so there's awful lot of commonalities, and I think it all comes down to, you know, Ed, I, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I was in New York one time, and uh, I was taking the cab to Manhattan, and the, the cab driver said, tomorrow you will not be able to get a cab. And I said, why? And he said, it's United Nations Day. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know, every single country in the world is going to be sending their ambassador the United Nations to represent their country and the needs and tell us the uniquenesses of their country. And I started thinking of first Corinthians where Paul said, we're ambassadors for Christ. And I thought, you know, uh, that's what it is. Whether I'm a comedian, whether I'm on the radio, whether I'm producing the prices, right, whether I'm pastoring, whether I'm with master media, I am just representing the kingdom. And what that, that gave me so much simplistic clarity. It's like, I'm just bringing the kingdom wherever I am. It doesn't matter the mm. context. I am just bringing the kingdom, representing Christ's kingdom as an ambassador. Okay, good. Well, let's, let's jump into some calls. We always have a good time having some conversations with our listeners. 877-548-3675 is our number. Again, that's 877 Five for eight, uh, three six seven five. Talking to Dan Rupel, and uh, who's uh, 
well-known leader in, in Christian engagement in Hollywood, I guess is a good way to put that, through Master Media International. And so let's take some, uh, let's let's take a few calls. Okay, so uh, one of them is from Steve in Indiana. Steve, you're live on the air. That's, that's my call. Uh, hello, uh, I got a quick question. Appreciate, appreciate the show. I'm just wondering if there was somewhere we could uh, possibly send material, original material, a lot of one-liners and puns and things like that, where somebody may be able to benefit from it and use it in a good way with good comedy. I, I, actually, uh, I know that might sound like a strange question to a lot of people, Steve. I like it because I've often wondered, I got a great joke. Who needs this great joke? But is there such a thing, Dan? Um, well, <laughs> the short answer is not really. Um, okay. And, and the, reason I, the reason I say that is most comedians in this day and age, it, it's different way back, it will say the Bob Hope era, but most comedians write their own material because they want to, the, the secret sauce of comedy is really projecting your unique voice. You find your voice as a comedian. You do the same thing with, with a, as a filmmaker. You find your particular unique voice. And, um, and so, therefore, most comedians want to write their own, own things. Now, there, there are a few comedians, I don't know too many of them, that uh, will, you know, take, take material. Uh, but I, I, to be honest with you, I can't even think of one right, right now. So, Reader's Digest. Know, Reader's Digest. You can always you send go. in your jokes there to you Reader's go. Digest. You know, I, since for 100 you know, years, I think you could do that. Yeah, you know what? That you bring up a good thing. You know, one, people don't, I tell this to students, people don't realize how much need there is in the corporate space. We are a, we are a screened culture, meaning so much of human communication is buffered by a screen. And there is a great need for content. And what students don't think, you know, when I talk to film students, they say, oh, I, I, I want to go up to Hollywood. Fine, if God's calling you there, but that's not the only game in town. I spent seven years writing corporate uh, comedy for like Toyota and General Motors and all these different things. And there's a real need for that kind of input. Or you just mentioned like a periodi periodical like uh, Reader's Digest. There's a lot of platforms or, or venues out there that can use a good laugh. So I, I wonder, too, um, do you feel pressure? First, first of all, I, I got two questions, but now you mentioned what in the world is comedy for Toyota? Like, are you writing car jokes and like the CEO yes, uses kinda. them? And OK, what's a funny Toyota or maybe not to make a Toyota? What what kind of corporate joke is funny? Yeah, well, it, first of all, I don't write jokes. I'm not. A, I'm not right. a joke writer. I've oh, never in my life other done stand do. up. Right, right, okay. right, right. But what what I did is sketches, um, because oh, okay. and it okay. was car humor. Because what car happened humor. is That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because Co Toyota, um, well, let me. Let, you know, Toyota will be launching a new car, and so mm -hmm. it's like on our website because we're in a digital age and everybody needs video content on their websites. And they, you know, they said, hey, can you do a funny, you know, one about this new uh, Toyota? And uh, so we do that. I did one for General Motors for um, for their new uh, their, their new car. And uh, what I did is I had this young man. He goes up to the door of a house and uh, and he's he's taking the daughter out for the prom. And her her father answers the door. He's a big, huge man. And he, he says, uh uh, he says, listen, uh, I want you to, to treat my baby really, really well. You know, I want you nothing too fast. I want you to have her home by 10. 
uh, really treat her uh, like I was there myself. And then you pan over and he's going to borrow the car and he comes back and then the daughter comes out and he says, and what I said about my car goes double for my daughter. You know, so it's, it's that kind of <laughs> That's joke. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> and, and the visual is really funny. You know, one, in yeah. fact, it won an award. And, uh, you know, so that's the kind of thing you, you, you do with uh, sketch humor. So I had the, I watch Matthew McConaughey Lincoln ads, and I think he's being funny, but no, he really does seem to love his car that much, which is just strange to me. So, I think he does. Um, it's an obsession. So do you, do, is it is it a chat like when you're doing church stuff, when you're preaching, is there like a significant pressure on you to be funny now that people know? I mean, how does that work? <laughs> you know, it, uh, I think it was Groucho Marx or somebody said, uh, uh, talking about funny is the most unfunny thing there is. And I taught, uh, you mentioned Biola, Ed. I, I taught comedy writing at Biola for about six or seven years. And it was a funny class. We had a lot of fun, but it's, it's sometimes not a funny uh, topic. But you know who gets it the worst is my wife. She's constantly, you know, it's like, is he that funny at home? Is he hysterical? Uh, we're very close friends with Tim and Heather Hawkins. And, and my wife and Heather talk uh, quite often about, our husbands aren't quite as funny at home, you know? So, uh, so I wouldn't say pressure, but, uh, you know, you try to kind of be in the moment and when you're naturally funny, it kind of just kind of comes out. Love it. Love it. Fascinating. All right. We're talking to Dan Ruppel. Uh, we're taking your calls. Uh, we've been dealing some with Christian comedy and some with Hollywood in general, because Dan's career stretches both. He's currently the CEO of mastermind media. Our number to call. We got one segment left, so let's get you on the line. 877-548-3675. Maybe we should have them test their comedy, Dan. No, we won't do that. 877-548-3675 with Dan Ruppel. Continue our conversation here at Ed Stetzer Live with your calls in just a moment. Hey, we're back. Ed Stetzer live in our final segment today. We're taking your calls. We're going to probably talk a little bit about comedy, some about uh, about Hollywood. And I'm going to properly pronounce Master Media International because I keep saying mastermind. I don't know why it is. I can't stop. Dan Ruppel is our guest. 877-548-3675 is our number. Let's go to Paul. Paul, you are Paul from K-Wave. You are live on the air. I'm hearing you. Paul, Paul, sorry to interrupt you. I need you to get off that speakerphone if you don't mind, and I'm going to come right back to you in just a second. It's just how we're having a hard time uh, hearing you as well. So let me let me throw a question and we'll swing. This has been a technologically challenging day. So tell us about the organization that I can't seem to pronounce called Mastermind Media, joking, Master Media International. Yeah. Uh, tell us, uh, how do you serve the media? You told us a little bit about that. How did you get connected to it, and what's the ongoing work of Master Media? Yeah, it was formed in, in 1985 by Dr. Larry Poland, and it was basically um, a, a, a relational outreach to, in those days, nine people who headed up all of Hollywood. And the reason I say nine is there were three TV stations 
and and six film studios. So the idea was connect with those nine people, and you've pretty much canvassed the the uh, the media world for for Christ. Uh, what we do now, because the media has changed so much since the digital revolution, and we say it's democratized. Media is being produced everywhere on the planet. And you don't need to go through the gatekeepers of Hollywood. You can be a 16-year-old in, in Des Moines and have 3 million people follow you on, on YouTube. So what we're doing now is we continue to meet with the leaders, but we also are, are training, encouraging, and, and mentoring the young generation. Because we feel the way to change the world's media is to have a, a, just a, a, an army of very talented, committed Christian filmmakers come into the media ranks and really change it from the bottom up. And that's what we do. We, we have classes. Uh, we have an Act One program, which is a master's class in screenwriting and producing. My wife and I speak at universities. Uh, we spoke at 16 uh, before, the, uh, before COVID shut us down. And uh, we just want to encourage this next generation. We also uh, put them into communities. We have a master media community in New York, in Hollywood, in Atlanta, and we're forming one in Austin, Texas. Awesome. If you call it master mind media, I'll do one in Chicago. But otherwise, <laughs> we're going to just call it master media. I would like that. Paul, Paul, they tell me it was a Bluetooth, but I couldn't hear you. So go ahead and ask your question. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm curious. I grew up um, mid-70s around Christian radio and entertainment and didn't really know much about Isaac Airfray. It didn't get a whole lot of traction when I was uh, listening on radio and, and Maranatha, Calvary Costa Mesa. I'm curious, sure. were you guys uh, kind of set aside for, for the music or you weren't much of a main player that I recall? And yeah, tell us a little bit about that relationship there. Thank you, Paul, for your question. So, uh, where where did it catch hold of? Where I mean, again, obviously, in my in my house it did, but where did it catch hold? Well, um, it, it it started with Calvary Costa Mesa, and uh, one of the real and and Paul had mentioned uh, KYMS. Uh, Keith Green was just starting out, and he was really his first album just hit, and there were so many people at Calvary Costa Mesa they had to have two two shows. And that was broadcast over uh, KYMS uh, th all through Southern California. And Isaac Airfreight was just starting out and we opened for, for Keith. And so we we kind of, you know, was on the tailcoats or coattails of, of Keith, his popularity. But, you know, very soon uh, we transitioned from opening for music groups to being the headliner. And we mm -hmm. could pack out sometimes three, 4,000 seats uh yep, in, the, in those yep. days so yeah we were we were you know we really caught on quickly yeah you know it's interesting because i have in the before time before the pandemic somebody gave me two tickets to a comedy club um you know what's the the the, the big famous one here in chicago i forget what it is but um and of course i second city you just whispered number here city, and i'm a yes, little absolutely yeah so I, i've actually still got the tickets i'm not sure they're good anymore because you know the pandemic hit and everything was closed down but I, I'm a little hesitant because comedy has become so much more coarse in the midst of that as well. I mean, I, I enjoy comedy though. So, what would you recommend for folks who who want to enjoy comedy? Maybe aren't you know seeing some of it to be too coarse? People like me, I want to go to a show. You're not around playing Isaac Airfred anymore. What do I do? Well, uh, like we mentioned earlier, there's so many great uh, Christian comedians uh, who are just doing great things. But there's also, you know. There's a lot of great comedians who work, um, you know, clean 
in the mainstream, like a Brian Reagan, yeah. uh, very often Jim Gaffigan. Uh, yeah, there's, Jim Gaffigan. There's, Sinbad there's a, does some stuff like that. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. And the, the three people we just mentioned come have Christian roots. And, oh, um, you know, so, so yeah, so there's, there's quite a bit of clean humor, but I know what you mean. You know, sometimes my wife and I will, you know, especially during the pandemic, when you watch so many shows like, you know, and it's like, everything's so dark and negative and this and that. And it's like, is there a comedy? Is there a comedy? You know, so you go searching for, you know, a, a clean comedy thing that can just uplift you. In fact, I just wrote an article uh, for Master Media called Time to Laugh. Um, how we need uh, that safety valve of laughter. And it brings us a much fresher, uh, uplifting perspective of what's going on in the world around us. Yeah, so I, how, I was mentioning earlier Christian representation in media. There's sometimes when I see a Christian character, um, and you know, I actually made the news. There was a pastor, I think, in the Americans that made the news. There was several other. I saw that in a, uh, an article at First Things Magazine. Um, so what do you what do we hope for? What could Christian representation in the media look like? It seems like every other group has an advocacy group to make sure they're represented yep. fairly. How do Christians get represented fairly in the media? Uh, absolutely. There, there's really two ways. One is what we are doing with Master Media. We're, we yeah. we want to be known. We want them to know that, you know, a Christian is not defined by some of the, the really radical voices that they're hearing. Uh, they're getting a barrage on the, the nightly news. And it's like, this is the real heart of, of our, our faith and the real heart of our community. And so, you know, we, we talk to uh, the leaders of, of media entities and we tell them, you know, it, depending on how you, you define a Christian, minimum 60% of America are Christians. And, um, and you know, and do you really want to offend that audience? Don't you want to embrace mm. that audience? Give, give them things that they'll, they'll be positive of. Um, Often, not I shouldn't say often, that's overstating it, but on occasion, a media executive, like we'll say, like, like not this, but uh, like the CEO of HBO, they'll say, where's the Christian talent? Where's the Christian films? Well, that's the other side of what we do with Master Media. There's a, a growing, really talented Christian filmmakers that are coming on the scene that are doing unbelievably good stuff. And, um, you know, so we want to embrace and encourage that because that's the way to change the narrative is to have great, dedicated Christian storytellers. But you got to be good. I always tell students we are in a post-Christian culture. We are no longer in Jerusalem. We are Daniels in Babylon. And the way that Daniel succeeded is one, he was given to excellence. And you have to be the best of the best at your craft. So study to show yourself approved. And number two, Daniel would not compromise. He would not drink from the king's cup. And I tell students uh, in Hollywood terms, the king's cup is is seeking fame and fortune. I said, they're a dead, dead end. Don't go after that. Go after being a representative and ambassador for Christ. And you will make a huge difference in the industry, both in the stories you tell and your presence behind the camera. Oh, good, good advice and good wisdom. And I know that's the kind of thing Biola University talks about. So we were so glad. Uh, first, I'm glad my daughter will be going there in that program. So, but also so glad that we were able to do the Ablaze Conference together, celebrating the Jesus People movement and more. Thanks to my guest, Dan Rupel. Thanks to all of you who listened and called in as well. Sorry we couldn't get to everyone's calls. Let me remind you, Dan is the CEO of Master Media International. See, I'm going to make Master Media. I can say it. Master Media International. So thanks to Dan as well. Thanks to our team. 
My producer, Karen Hendren, engineer, Courtney Young, and Eric Tidwell's man on the phones today. Tune in next week. I'm going to be with Wheaton College history professor to talk about how faith and our founding fathers and how politics all this shapes our country today. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at edstetzerlive.org or on the Moody Radio app. You can also connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, everything at Ed Stetzer Live. And Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, which itself is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening to Ed Stetzer Live.